Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist. Good to be with you this morning. If you would, please find the attendance pads that are in each of the pews and fill those out. Pass them to those that are worshiping beside you so that they can uh, fill those out as well. And as you do that, make sure that you look over the announcement sheet uh, that's in your bulletin. Today is Coins for Missions Sunday, and I know a lot of you were looking for the blue buckets uh, out in the narthex. We have, we have you well-conditioned to look for those blue buckets out in the narthex, uh, but they're not out there today because we're going to have the children pass them around. So now we need to recondition you uh, to bring your coins in here uh, for the children to bring the blue buckets around for Coins for Missions. So during the children's message, they'll bring those around so uh, you can have your coins ready for that. Uh, there's an announcement about Thanksgiving meals. We're providing uh, food to the Fish Food Pantry and uh, monetary donations to the Fish Food Pantry as well for uh, the Thanksgiving meals. That, that all needs to be in by this Wednesday uh, so that uh, everything can get distributed in time. So uh, bring your Thanksgiving items for the Fish Food Pantry in by this Wednesday. Uh, thank you to uh, those who provided this beautiful altar display up here. It's uh, always a joy to have that up here during the Thanksgiving season, and we appreciate those who uh, have provided that for us. Uh, there's an announcement about Blue Christmas. We have that service coming up on Sunday, December 4th at 2.30, so uh, take note of that and let others know about that who uh, might benefit from being a part of that service. Uh, Joyce is going to come up. Where is Joyce? Oh, there she is. Joyce has, has a couple of announcements. Thank you. We do want to remind you again to get your contributions in for the Thanksgiving meals. Uh, that money can come in through Wednesday. Uh, they are looking to try and serve 800 families. And we've always been such a generous congregation, and we are looking forward to being able to assist them in that project. Then, on next Sunday... You're going to see a Christmas tree in the narthex. And we know it's early, and we know, you know, we don't want to start Christmas before Thanksgiving. However, once again, as a mission, we provide gifts for St. Paul. Uh, what St. Paul does is they allow all the children from the community to come in and shop for their families. So they get the feeling of giving as well as receiving. So... Here's what we're going to be doing. There will be bells on the Christmas tree. You'll take a bell. It'll say a gift for a teenage boy. Um, it might be uh, socks. It might be um, um, a toboggan. It might be um, axe spray. <laughs> not, not an axe. Not an axe. No. There, there's, there's a product called axe spray. Boys like that. Uh, teenage girl, adult, uh, female, uh, you know, like for a mom. Uh, or a grandmother. Some of these children live with extended family. Um, that way they come in and they get to shop for their um, parents or grandparents, whoever they're living with, and for their siblings. So we have, they were, when uh, St. Paul talked to us, they were so excited because we're one of three churches who helps with this ministry. And they really are um, so grateful for what we have done in the past, and they're asking for us to continue that. Okay, so that's the Christmas announcement. Um, on Friday, get my days right, we observed Veterans Day. And uh, last Sunday, we did All Saints Day, so we weren't able to do a Veterans Day uh, honoring. So we're doing our Veterans Day honoring today. So at this point, I'd like the, if you are a veteran or active military, if you would stand, we just want to recognize you, and we have um, a small token of, your, of our appreciation for your service. So if our, for our veterans, if you can stand, if you'll stand, otherwise I'll come to you. Okay, if you'll tell us what branch of military you were in. Army. Army. I know what you were in. <laughs> All right. Uh, Marine Corps. Marine Corps. Okay. Air Force, 33 years. Wow, thank you for your service. Army. Army. Army's ahead at the moment. Army. 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 Air Force. Air Force. And our 
Our guys are coming around with things, something for you. Air Force. Air Force. Okay, kids can move a little faster. <laughs> Pastor Annie only gave me three minutes. Move a little faster. Army. Army. I think Army is way ahead. Fifth Marines. Marines. What am I supposed to do? Oh, I was in the Army. Army. Okay. In Korea. Okay. And Bill. Air Force. Air Force. Okay, if you'll join me in thanking our... Wait a minute, I missed Paul. United States Air Force. Another Air Force. Will you join me again in thanking all these men for their service? Thank you, Joyce. And... I'm sure we probably have some uh, veterans worshiping at home, uh, worshiping with us online, and we want you to know that uh, you're not forgotten, and we appreciate your service. Do we have extra gifts that if they contact the office? So if you're watching online and you're a veteran, let us know at the church. We'll get you one of those gifts as well. We appreciate your service. We're here to worship God. Let us be uh, in a spirit of worship now. Stand as you're able, and let's join together in the call to worship. Bless the Lord at all times. God's praise be continually in my mouth. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt the name of the Lord together. Seek the Lord and be filled. For those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Happy are those who take refuge in God. Taste, Taste and, and see that, that the, the Lord, Lord is good. And please remain standing for our opening hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty.
thank you and you may be seated. And please join me in our opening prayer that is printed in your bulletin. God, we praise you. We gather together to worship you, to remember the goodness and unfailing love you have shown towards us, your people. Time after time, you have come to our rescue. Your love has sustained us through good times and bad. No matter what we faced, whether accident, illness, disappointment, or death, you were there, encouraging, strengthening, and blessing. Even when we turned our back on you, you didn't abandon us, but waited patiently for us to return, ready to welcome us with open arms. Because we have known your love in the past, we look to the days ahead without fear. No matter how uncertain the future may seem, we will continue to trust in your unfailing love, confident that you will guide us in the days ahead as you have guided us in the past. Amen. <clears throat> and if I can have the children please come forward. We're going to have the children's sermon, and I'm going to give you a hint. We're going to talk about donuts. I need four volunteers to pass, if you guys could pass these out. Here you go. All right. And this way people can give their coins for missions. You have coins for mission. Can you stand or raise your hand so the kiddos can find you? Wonderful. Thank you. Lots and lots of coins today. This is fantastic. Think we got everybody. Good job. And you can just set them up here on the, on the prayer rail here. Thanks, you guys. Very good. All right, if you guys want to have a seat, we will do our children's sermon. And what I want you to do first is take a look at this beautiful altar. I just really want to thank Ann Ledbetter, who keeps this stuff in her garage, I heard this week, and also to um, Alice and Jackie, who arranged this. This makes me be thankful. Does this make you be thankful? It kind of says, and you know, if we think about it, everything we put on the altar, we're thankful for. Those flowers that are usually there, and this um, beautiful arrangement, it helps us remember what we're thankful for and thank God for it. And that is what I want to talk about today. So there's a verse in the Bible that I want you to repeat after me. So, oh, give thanks to the Lord. 
for he is good. Yes, absolutely. And that's in Psalms 107, verse 1. And it makes me think of something I learned a long time ago. And I promised you we were going to talk about donuts, didn't I? <laughs> so I'm going to talk about donuts. And there's a little quote that I heard that I think is super meaningful. It says, as you journey through life, make this your goal. Focus on the donut and not the whole. <laughs> so <laughs> what that says is that when you look at a donut, are you thankful that you have a donut? Or are you like bummed because there's a hole in the middle of your donut? You're thankful, that's right. And that's what that quote says. It's that we should be focused on the things that we have and be thankful for those and not be so disappointed in the things we don't have, like the middle of the donut, which is the big hole. So that's what I want you to remember today. I'm gonna to say it one more time. As you journey through this life, make this your goal. Focus on the donut and not the hole. So guess what I'm gonna give you? A donut. <laughs> but it's in a baggie. I want you to keep it in your baggie and wait till you get home. My recommendation would be to pop it in the microwave for about 10 seconds and it'll be top notch. <laughs> also, I want to just take this time since we're talking about donuts to let people know that when we have our next um, fellowship hour, which is not next Sunday, but the next Sunday at 10 o'clock, I've heard there's going to be hot, fresh, homemade donuts. So please come. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for thanking me. That's exactly what we wanted to talk about. Thank you, Julie. Did you bring enough for everyone? <laughs> Come to fellowship time in two weeks, and you'll get your donut there. We're going to turn to our prayer hymn now, which is number 467 in your hymnals, Trust and Obey. Let us sing together in prayer.
pray. Oh Lord, help us to trust you in all things. Help us be obedient to you in all things so that we may enjoy that happiness, that deep happiness, that joy that comes only from you. Lord, forgive us for those times when we have turned a blind eye to you, looking for our happiness in the things of this world, things that uh, cannot ultimately satisfy. Lord, bring us back to you. Forgive us for all those times we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We know it's every day, and yet every day you continue to love us, forgive us, redeem us, and restore us. So bring us back to you once again in this time of worship and praise. Lord, we give you thanks on uh, this weekend as we celebrate Veterans Day. We give you thanks for all of the veterans of this church, of this community, and of this country who have, uh, who have sacrificed of their time and, and put their lives on the line for our sake. Thank you for their service, for their willingness to Put themselves in harm's way for us. Lord, may you bless all of our veterans, and may you offer protection and blessing to those who are currently serving. Lord, we thank you for the ministries of this church, for the coins that have been given for missions this day, for the food and the monetary donations given to Fish Food Pantry so that Families throughout this community can enjoy a, a wonderful Thanksgiving meal. For the gifts that will be purchased for the children at St. Paul's so that they can enjoy a joyous Christmas season. And thank you for so many other ministries and missions of this church that reach out in concern and love to our neighbors around us and to the world. We pray, Lord, that through these missions, others might know your redeeming grace in Jesus Christ and come to a loving and living relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We worship now with the giving of our tithes and our <laughs> offerings as the ushers wait upon us.
Please join me in the prayer of dedication. Lord Jesus, you gave your life that we might know the fullness of God's love for us. In your spirit of compassion and humility, we make this offering. In your example of love and mercy, let us serve those in need in your name. Receive and bless our giving, we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel lesson. Our gospel lesson today is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 28. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Stephanie is coming up to uh, present the Ministry of Music. Uh, however, she has just recently gotten over a cold, and she uh, tells me that her singing voice is not back yet. Now, I suspect that her singing without a good singing voice is probably still better than most of us here. But uh, she uh, would still like to present the words of this hymn for you as, uh, as Pam plays uh, the music of this hymn. And, and this is uh, two different versions of the same hymn, the first uh, coming from the United Methodist Hymnal and the second coming from the Nazarene Hymnal. And you'll notice the difference in music and, and also the words. So thank you for sharing it, thank Stephanie. You. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee, filled with messages from thee. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee ever, only, all for thee.
it comes across as a question of doubt. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That is the question posed by John the Baptist in our reading for today. In a sense, it is the question of all of the Gospels. Who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah prophesied in the Scriptures? Or is he something else altogether? It's the question Jesus posed to his own disciples. Who do you say that I am? The intriguing thing about the question as it is presented here in Luke 7, though, is the fact that it is John the Baptist asking the question. And he asks it in such a way that he appears to really be doubting the answer. How could John the Baptist have doubts about Jesus? He's the one who earlier in the same gospel leapt for joy in his mother's womb when she was greeted by Mary. He was the one who said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? He was the one who, when Jesus came up from the waters of baptism, heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. He was the one who pointed to Jesus and proclaimed confidently to his disciples, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But here in Luke 7, he sounds so uncertain. So doubtful. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? What has happened that John's faith in Jesus, once so rock solid, could be brought to such doubtful questioning? The Bible doesn't answer that question directly. I think we can get some sense of it, though, when we look at what John had been preaching and what Jesus was doing in the situation that now faced John here in Luke 7. But before we look at that, let's just take a moment to appreciate the fact that this kind of questioning is normal and natural. If even a prophet as holy and in the know as John the Baptist had his moments of doubt, perhaps we need not be so ashamed of our own moments. If the Bible doesn't shy away from Jesus' own forerunner asking questions about him, perhaps it's okay to admit having our own questions from time to time. If anyone had reason to question, it was John the Baptist. He had come as a prophet, a servant of God to prepare the way of the Lord. He had lived a righteous and sacrificial life. He had preached the truth at times when truth was not what a lot of people wanted to hear. He had spoken truth to power, and the powers that be had struck back. Now. He was locked up in prison for getting on the wrong side of King Herod. Not that John expected his path to be easy. He was well-versed in the scriptures. He knew that prophets are not beloved in their own time, that they often face rejection and persecution. He couldn't have expected any better for himself. He called the religious leaders of his day a brood of vipers. He called Herod an adulterous murderer. Surely he knew he was in for some trouble. But still, I have to think that his imprisonment was beginning to weigh on him. After all, if Jesus was indeed the Messiah, then wasn't he supposed to lead a posse into town to do away with all of the corrupt and unrighteous powers and institute the reign of God over Jerusalem? The fact that John was wasting away in prison while the wicked King Herod still sat upon the throne, was proof that the unrighteous were still in control. And Jesus didn't seem to be very concerned about that. Rather than leading a, a band of righteous revolutionaries to wipe the evil forces away, Jesus was going around the countryside eating with sinners and ministering to nobody. Our passage today begins by saying the disciples of John reported these things to him, which makes you ask, what things? It appears that John's question to Jesus as to whether he is the one was instigated by his disciples telling him what kinds of things Jesus had been up to. And when you look back a little bit to see what kinds of things Jesus had been up to, well, he had been healing people. Just before this passage, Jesus had raised a widow's son from death. And just before that, he had healed a centurion's servant who was close to death. 
That healing in particular could have given John some cause for concern. Centurions led the soldiers of Rome, who kept the Jewish people under their thumbs. Centurions were some of the types of folks that the Messiah was supposed to be chasing out of town, not someone the Messiah was supposed to be spending his time showing compassion to. Heal his servant? What for? So that his servant can help him oppress God's people even more? And while Jesus is spending his time caring for Gentiles like this centurion and his servant, a righteous child of God like John the Baptist is suffering, locked up in a dungeon of a wicked and illegitimate king. This is not at all what John or any other faithful Jew of his day would have expected from the Messiah. John was not expecting an easy life. He knew he would face persecution. He was prepared for trials. But he wasn't prepared for a Messiah who seemed completely disinterested in his plight and disconnected from his cause. What was Jesus waiting for? Why was he ministering to godless and meaningless people while ignoring a faithful man like John? I have to think that imprisonment was wearing on John, weighing him down. His spirit was depleted. When would Jesus step up and be the Messiah he expected him to be? Was he even the one? Maybe he had been wrong about Jesus all along. I have to imagine that some of what led John to send two of his disciples to ask Jesus the question straight out. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus gives a two-part answer. First, he performs certain acts. Then he answers the question in words. Luke says, in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. Only then did Jesus give a verbal answer, telling John's disciples to go back and report to John all that they had seen and heard. John wondered if Jesus was the Messiah because he had expected the Messiah to come put things to rights. But John was still languishing in prison while evil forces were still in power. Jesus, in his response, shows that he is, in fact, putting things to rights. It just doesn't look like what John expected it to look like. He is the Messiah. He is putting things to rights, not by overturning the political power structures of the day, but by lifting up the lowly, loving the dispossessed, ministering to the meek and the humble, and bringing new life. Jesus' words, highlighting his actions, bring to mind several verses of the prophet Isaiah with which John would have been well acquainted. Isaiah 29, 18, On that day the deaf shall hear the words of the scroll, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah 42, 18, Listen, you that are deaf, you that are blind, look up and see. Isaiah 26, 19, Your dead shall live, their corpses shall rise. O dwellers in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Jesus was demonstrating for John's disciples, and for John, and for all the other Jews who were wondering if he might be the Messiah, that this is what the Messiah was all about, all along. Jesus was carrying out the ministry he had inaugurated in his very first sermon in the synagogue in Galilee when he had read from the scroll of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year Of the Lord's favor. No doubt John was thinking, let's go back to that part about release of the captives. That would be good right about now. But Jesus, in his actions, showed that he was, in fact, already freeing the captives. He was releasing those who had been held captive 
to demons. He was freeing those who were held captive to their sins. He was giving new life to people who had been captive to despair. And the hope they now had, the new life they now lived, had nothing to do with who was sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, but who was on the throne in their hearts. Who was the master of their lives. This is what it means that Jesus is Lord even today. It's not about election results. It's not about political power. Not, Not that those things are meaningless, but it's not what Christ is focused on. When He appears disinterested in the things that matter so much to us, sometimes that's a sign we're focusing on the wrong thing. Jesus didn't come to change all of the circumstances of the world around us. He came to change us. For John the Baptist, though, I think his doubts, his question, went even further than that political question of why Jesus was allowing the evil king to remain in power and Roman soldiers to remain in Jerusalem and John to stay locked up in prison. I think he was also concerned about the message Jesus was preaching. Remember what John had predicted about the one who was to come back when he was preaching at the Jordan River and preparing the way of the Lord. He said of the Messiah... His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John was a fire and brimstone preacher. He was preaching about the time of judgment, and he expected that time of judgment was very close at hand. He expected that when the Messiah came, he would come in judgment to reward the righteous, and to punish the wicked. John had been calling people to repentance, to repent of their sins, to be baptized as a sign of forgiveness, to begin living a righteous life. And he had warned them that that time for repentance was very short, that when the Messiah came, that opportunity for repentance would end. Either you repent and receive forgiveness before he gets here, or when he gets here, he will throw you into the fire. That is what John expected from Jesus. But now Jesus had been on the scene for some time, months, maybe a year or two. And what was he doing? He was continuing to offer forgiveness. He was continuing to call people to repentance. He was continuing to grant second chances. He he was putting off the judgment that John thought was imminent, and he was offering grace to a degree that John thought was irresponsible. Why offer grace to a Gentile centurion and his servant? They are not God's children. Why offer new life to a widow's son who had already died? His time was up. His chance for mercy had passed. John was anxious for Jesus to get to the good stuff. The wrath, the judgment, the torment of those who had missed the boat. That was how God's justice would come about. That was what the Messiah was coming to do. It was beyond time for Jesus to get to it. If, in fact, He was the one. Are you the one to come? Or shall we look for another? I have to think that part of what was behind that question was some impatience with Jesus for continuing to offer mercy to people who just didn't deserve it. Jesus, in his response, both in what he did and in what he said, showed that he was, in fact, getting to it. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. He was showing that compassion and mercy are the defining values of God's kingdom, that justice is not about punishment, but about restoration, that God's grace knows no bounds, and that the lines we draw in this world have no meaning in the kingdom of God, that proclaiming release to the captives also means releasing the captives of hate 
freeing the captives of prejudice and fear. And then Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Who would be offended by Jesus? Well, there are a couple of possible answers to that. Today we think about the anti-religious, anti-Christian people, those who reject Christianity altogether and they are offended by demonstrations of faith. They're offended at the suggestion that they might need a savior. There are a lot of that kind of offenses in this world today. And sadly, those people are cutting themselves off from Christ. Blessed are those who are not offended by the truth that is found only in Jesus. But it's more than just them, isn't it? I mean, atheists and agnostics were not the people who were offended by Jesus in the Gospels. The people who were offended by Jesus in the Gospels were the religious folks who didn't like the fact that he kept breaking their traditions and going against their expectations. The people who were offended by Jesus in the Gospels are the people of God who were convinced that they were in and everyone else was out and they didn't like the fact that this guy Jesus kept paying attention to the wrong sort of people. They were offended by his ever-widening circle of grace and inclusion. We would do well to pay attention to that. Who are those who are offended by Jesus? It's not just those who explicitly reject Jesus. It's also those who claim the name of Christ, but in doing so, want to establish clear dividing lines between who is in and who is out. Those who are convinced that they are in the right and they are waiting with bated breath for Jesus to come again and do away with everyone who is wrong. Those who believe in Jesus, but the Jesus that they believe in is the one who John the Baptist was overly anxious for, the one who will appear at any moment with the winnowing fork in his hand to clear the threshing floor and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And they don't understand what in the world he is waiting for. And they are offended at the mere suggestion that perhaps the Messiah is more merciful than they had ever imagined or could possibly comprehend. They are offended at the idea that his compassion might be unbounded. Blessed. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me, said Jesus. And then having compelled John's disciples to consider all that they had seen in Jesus, he turned to the crowds and to ask what they had gone out into the wilderness to see in John. He offers a series of three rhetorical possibilities, and it's clear that the first two are intended to invoke a negative response. A reed shaken by the wind, that is, a weak man, a, a vacillating man, vacillating in his teaching, bending to the crowd. No, of course not. John might be going through a moment of doubt, but he was not wishy-washy. A man dressed in soft clothing? No, for that they would have gone to the palace, not down by the river. A prophet? Yes, a prophet. That's what they went out to see in John, a prophet. And that's exactly what he was. But then Jesus delivers the kicker. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Greater than John the Baptist, whom Jesus has just affirmed was truly a prophet of God? If the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him, does that imply that John is outside the kingdom? It would appear, at least at the moment of this story, that he is. The kingdom is for those who receive Jesus for who he is rather than who they want him to be. And in that moment, John was not satisfied with Jesus. 
The kingdom of God is for those who are humble and contrite, like the centurion who said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Like the weeping widow who asked nothing of Jesus and received everything. Like those with diseases and plagues and evil spirits. Those who have been cast aside by society. Those who were shunned by all who were respectable and clean. But who found newness and life in Jesus. The kingdom of God is for those who glory in grace abounding. It doesn't take being a great person to get into the kingdom. It only takes Jesus. It only takes Jesus. He is the one in all of his unbounded grace and mercy. Thanks be to God for his infinite compassion given in Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to stand as you are able for our closing hymn, which is number 156 in the hymnal. I love to tell the story.
go and continue to tell that story of Jesus and his love, of his unending, unfailing love. Go in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.